0: Ahoy, authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing
1: skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with
0: hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 111 of The Writership Podcast. Today, we're talking about omniscient point of view. I'm Leslie Watts, here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast.
1: As you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by Jim Kukrel and Author Marketing Club. Jim has just launched a new business for nonfiction authors called Business Around a Book. So if you're a nonfiction author, visit www.businessaroundabook.com and let Jim help you turn your nonfiction book into a profitable, life-changing business. That's businessaroundabook.com.
0: Hey Clark Hey,
1: how's it going Leslie?
0: It's going It's going.
1: You're having a little bit of a, a black rain cloud
0: a little weather happening <laughs> by uh-huh. the name of harvey uh but we are we're not in the we're getting a lot of rain and a little wind but not in the thick of it. so I hope everyone who is by the time this goes out is safe and uh And has weathered the storm okay?
1: Yes. I know that uh, there have been some accidents already and things that happen. These are not fun. but uh, And so I don't want to make light of the situation. But when I first saw someone talking about Harvey, Mm -hmm. because I I don't pay a lot of attention to the news. Like, I really try to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. And so on Facebook, someone was saying about Harvey. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you mean the rabbit? (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah well, my daughter has a friend whose name is harvey and so we've uh been very excited that our friend harvey has turned into a hurricane <laughs> that but yes as you say it's uh i hope everybody's yeah not to make light of it but it was kind of it's funny that they name the storms like that mm-hmm. yeah um, it's kind of funny that So how are things going up in your neck of the woods? You got to see the eclipse.
1: Yes, I was in the totality of the eclipse, which was just amazing. If you've never seen um, a full total solar eclipse, if you have the opportunity, you got to do it. Like it's just the, the pictures, the videos, they don't, they can't even come close to doing it justice with the feeling of it and like what it actually looks like to the naked human eye and everything in between. It was amazing. Um, One of the really funny things was is that uh, um, NASA uh, set up headquarters here to monitor the eclipse. And so they were telling the community, like, there's going to be, you know, like, maybe even as many as a million people are going to be, or definitely going to be a half million for sure. And so businesses and everyone was just, like, totally getting prepared and ready. And, like, once Friday rolled around, the town was just dead because no one was going out because everyone was so afraid of all these millions of people showing up that oh. they didn't want to the, the driving and like hardly anyone showed up. I mean, there was people from out of town that did show up, but probably more like 30,000. Uh. And, and so like the, all the locals kind of just didn't do anything on that weekend. It was pretty funny. So, but a pretty awesome experience. And, um, just, uh, as an update, um, things are going a lot better in life for me right now. Like things have, um, kind of feel like I've turned that corner. Um, having the normal day again, Mm -hmm. which is really awesome. And just things are going good that way, which I'm really excited about.
0: Ah, that's fantastic. I'm so happy. It's really great. Uh, so things around, uh, my neck of the woods besides the hurricane. Besides the hurricane. Yeah. Uh, my assistant Liz, the fantastic, uh, is back, and so you'll find, dear listeners, you'll find that the the show notes are up to date, and the emails has gone the email has gone out, and so we're going to be uh, on that going. That forward. is so cool. So uh, appreciate your patience so much with our bumpy summer and we have, um, some fun stuff coming up. So stay tuned, watch this space.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't suppose that you'd be interested in a quote that has to do with omniscient point of view.
0: Oh, all right. Okay. twisted my arm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, having to have one here from Ursula K. Um, Le Guin. Uh, Who says, omniscient point of view is the most openly, obviously manipulative of the points of view. But the voice of the narrator, who knows the whole story, tells it because it is important and is profoundly involved with all the characters cannot be dismissed as old-fashioned or uncool. It's not only the oldest and most widely used storytelling voice, it's also the most versatile, flexible, and complex of the points of view and probably at this point the most difficult for the writer.
0: Yeah. We've yeah. talked about this before, that it's it's fallen out of favor somewhat mm-hmm. since Jane Austen's time and, and Charles Dickens and <laughs> even later, <laughs> you know. But it's a fantastic tool to have in your in your toolbox for for writing
1: hmm Because it really is, and I've mentioned it before, I know the pendulum will swing back eventually with this, mm-hmm. um, storytelling method because uh, just like in the quote, it's just so, there's so much more stuff that you can do with this that you cannot do in any of the others, but that's what makes it difficult because most authors don't see it the right way. They're not seeing a, a storyteller, mm-hmm. you know, they're just picking a, point of view because it's something they like to write in or it's what's popular right now and um, not being able to see it as an actual character telling a story makes it difficult and kind of lose focus on what you should have in it or what not to have in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and really there are accomplished writers who, who talk about how hard this is and that they won't go near it. But, uh, but we're going to kind of throw down the gauntlet a little bit (laughs) here and, uh, encourage you to give it a try because it, you can do so much with it and really have fun and it might take a little while to master, but then you'll be, um, one really, you'll have some serious writing chops. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw out that challenge, uh, For today,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one.
0: So okay, so we have a a submission today to talk about. It is called the Palace Thief. It's unpublished. Y A fantasy from A R Richardson. The word count is about ninety thousand. And today we uh, Clark is going to read chapter one.
1: Okay. The palace thief. The double humped camel stamped a foot in front of the library, in complaint that none of its brethren were close by. It spent the time waiting for its owner by watching with its ears, listening as the last few flies lost the battle to stay airborne in the heat as it rested in a sliver of the library's shadow. It stopped blinking to clear the parched flies, preferring to keep them shut as nothing of interest was happening. With his head lowered, the pests kept tumbling down the precipice of his forehead till a little pile of lazy flies flapped an occasional wing on the surrounding sandstone. There were two hours to go until closing time, but time crawled like it couldn't wake up. Deep inside the thick stone walls of the Capitol Caliph Library, the patrons were fought to stay awake. Those who came into the library with its open spaces and many nooks in order to sleep annoyed the head librarian, and right now she was wearing a scowl that could turn stone to sand. The tall woman glided to the side of one of the aisles, where a series of sturdy small wooden tables were set up for private reading. The individual currently at one of the tables had apparently been reading a very advanced book on mathematical formula. He must have decided that the normal method of using his eyes to glean knowledge from the ornate pages wasn't fast enough. Therefore, obviously, in an attempt to learn faster, he would placed the book directly over his head and closed his eyes in an effort to pull the words straight from the book into his mind. The, sta- the soft, breathy snores she heard from him were, no doubt, a form of meditation. The librarian tried to look at these things in a positive manner. As she walked closer, her steps became quieter until the clap-clap-clap of her sandals on the mosaic floor had faded away. The only things left were little librarian-shaped silences coming towards the table. She was not a small woman, but the books never complained she was too fat, and she loved them for it. At first, El Mashra thought the sky was falling in. He heard a sound like the thunder, which meant the rains were about to start, and he felt his body vibrating. Aye! He screamed, jumping up from where he had been dozing away from the heat of the late afternoon sun. He opened his eyes and peered through the dust hanging in the air to see something far more scary than the end of the world. Instantly, his mouth went dry and his heart started pounding. Madame Keshka, he licked his lips nervously. He took a look at the madam and nearly fainted. She was smiling. This was bad. He looked down at the table he had thought was so well hidden. No one would notice it. A stack of books had been slammed down next to the thick older one he'd been using as a pillow. Even worse, that book with patterns that almost made sense had dropped onto the floor. Menor began to sweat. The librarian really liked books. I'm so sorry it was an accident. I was just studying. I'm sorry. Please don't kill me, he blurted while gawking at her chest, too scared to meet the librarian's eyes. There were stories about the head librarian. Sometimes it was said she was faster than she looked, and sometimes she caught some of the street children who used to venture into the quiet maze of stacked books where they were able to relax in safety. It was said that when she caught them, She would hold them prisoner in the library for the whole night, and she used some kind of magical spell on them. Those who came back were different. Raymond, his friend, who shared the cramped and dusty alleys down by the caravan marketplace, told him that he had a friend who had been caught by Madame Keshka. Raymond said that his friend had seemed okay for a while, but every few days he would start having to go back to the library. It wasn't always the same library. There were a few now. They said that the madam had them, some of them made. When the sun went down, Raymond's friend would come out of the library and his eyes were as large as the ruby on the Caliph's favorite ring. Menorah had seen the ring when the caliph sat in public court pointing it at people when they were judged guilty and sentenced to be hung. Raymond said his friend had been getting bigger and bigger and his cheeks and fingers were getting fat. Raymond told Menorah that he warned his friend that the librarian was feeding him so that she could eat him. Raymond said that his friend laughed and turned away, but Raymond had watched. Over time he watched his friend begin to count his lips moved whilst no sound would come out the magic made him know numbers and things about places that were very far away i even said that one day his friend just disappeared and no one had seen him again nor blinked out from his terrified daydream there was a funny kind of silence in the library he knew that type of utter stillness it was the same sort that you got in the poor quarters sometimes it meant that the poor hunt was around and the rich people from the palace would laugh and giggle as they killed the street folk in the night times. It was that same sort of silence when the periodic cleanup crews roamed in the early hours of the mornings. It meant everyone was watching, but they were too afraid to move in case whoever was out there noticed that they were hidden ones, in case the bad things happened to them. He lowered his eyes even Further, traveling down toward a space between the librarian's upper and lower garments, where a big expanse of flesh was showing. Normally, where this would show just a belly button and that silly little sliver bare skin, which seemed to make men act like fools, there were instead ripples of tummy thrusting itself through the tiny gap. Noah shivered before looking up, realizing that Mam'Keshka might have seen him look at her. Her eyes were turned to the ceiling, looking far away and possibly up to the stars, he thought. Who could tell with which woman librarians? Finally, she gave a huge sigh and looked back down at him. or quickly dropped his gaze in case she tried to give him the evil eye. He watched her hands as it went into a sleeve and came out with a clean cloth. As she came close, he caught the scent of jasmine and cinnamon and cough in the air around her. "'Wipe that runny nose of yours. "'Now what's your name?' "'The truth now, because I'll know if you're lying,' she ordered him. "'My name? "'I mean, it's, uh, it's Menor, madam,' he, st- he stammered. "'Menor heard her grunt and looked back up. "'Yes, Menor, her eyes bored into him so deeply "'he could start to feel them read the thoughts at the back of his head. "'You came in here to sleep, not to use the library for its intended purpose?' "'Menor nodded, too scared to speak.' Well, since you are capable of telling the truth, I'm going to let you go without turning you into a salamander, this time. Menor swallowed, relieved. But you will have to come back tomorrow and help me tidy up, and anything else I may need you to do. You will come tomorrow evening, one hour before sunset. Do not make me find you. You wouldn't like that, would you? He shook his head from side to side so fast he thought his eyes would switch places. Go! the librarian said. Manur stayed rooted in the spot in fear. Now she roared, and he shot away for the exit, with such speed that he'd left the library before the echoes of the librarian's command had finished bouncing from the vaulted roofs above. Manur scrambled from his from the library like it was nighttime, and the poor hunt itself was after him. He merged back into the familiarity of the streets where he spent his days. He slithered through the bazaar dodging carts and people with equal ease of all the things that had just happened there was one thought that kept coming back to him no matter how fast he ran he bumped into a guard and was past him before the surprised man could grab him and draw his scimitar just after the librarian witch woman had screamed now she had actually winked at him
0: Yeah, she must have. She must have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just like, I love this. There there were stories about the head librarian, and mm-hmm. the magic made him know numbers, and things about places that were far away. Oh, mm-hmm. those tricky, tricky librarians. <laughs> yes.
1: distributing <laughs> the magic right? information. Oh, my uh-huh. gosh. <laughs>
0: so i really i love this premise uh, of the story which we don't get it we don't get a lot of it in in here but i'll just um give everyone a little little heads up the librarian uh, is working with the first minister and the treasurer of the kingdom and they have a a deadly game of politics and the the prince wants her expertise and she realizes that someone wants wants the prince dead uh-huh. and she doesn't want to be a participant a participant in that and so she thinks um if she can catch the annoying sneaky thief everything uh-huh. will work out okay um but who knows yeah. Uh, so we've got a lot of really cool elements, and I think there's some lovely descriptions in here uh that are evocative and some fun lines and stuff. so we have humor uh but also this sense of the librarian being this kind of scary person mm-hmm. um, scary and imposing. But if we were to, you know, if we were to see her, we probably would think she was a librarian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, like, for instance, you know, the, the fun, very small, but it has a lot of power.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you talk about the poor hunt and there's this mm-hmm. line that said the, the people from the palace would laugh and giggle as they killed. And like laugh and giggle as they killed, like that's like such a, a an amazing little bit of description there that has so much weight to it. And so I like how there are several of these throughout the um, chapter that we read, these little tiny things that actually have a ton of weight
0: to them. Yeah. There was another one that I had, uh, I was like, Ooh, Oh, that's a, Oh, a scowl that could turn stone to sand. Mm -hmm. I just loved (laughs) that. So, we so we have here we have omniscient point yes. of view and and we've noted that it's you know it's tricky to do, and there's some suggestions certainly that I would make in this, but I think that it's really great for authors to you know to give it a try to mm-hmm. to experiment with it um i think that opening with the camel when we don't have we don't know you know who the camel's owner is or how he relates to what we're going you know what we're finding uh-huh. out that 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 doesn't work for the opening but i like the way that we are able to get into munir's experience as well as what's happening on the outside, and also Madame Keshka's, the librarian, her experience and what mm-hmm. she's thinking on the on the inside in a way that I don't think it, I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be the same if we were doing this in third person or uh, limited or first person. Um, and I wish I had a way to describe it, but it's just more. This environment feels very rich and full, and I feel like we would really miss it if we couldn't see Mm -hmm. and know the thoughts as well as the full picture of what's going on on the outside.
1: Right. Like the idea of being able to have the um, point of view, the camera following around and being pointed in different directions and seeing things and understanding things that uh, that you wouldn't get normally, which is a lot of fun. I mean, how often do we get into the camel's mind in most <laughs> books? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and I don't know if I said that, this, but I, I although I don't think that's the place to start, right? Uh, I still think that some of the description in there and being in the camel's mind, I think that's really interesting and would be. That, you know, could be used to great effect mm-hmm. in another place.
1: Yeah. And um, so, one of the things that I really think I kind of alluded to this earlier is like, so, any point of view choice, mm-hmm. omniscient included, you need to show what is important for the reader mm-hmm. at that moment. You know, like, is the camel important? Is this stuff? Like, because when you start actually thinking about um, the narrator, you know who who she is he is well what's the purpose of telling the story well, what do they care about and when you can start to understand that it then helps you know what to leave in or put in or leave out and like how much time to spend on particular elements and where to go the, in the next part like cuz you really are becoming that storyteller and that's a good way to look at it and then you can navigate through this stuff because maybe there is a reason that we need to know about stuff with the camel and what it thinks and, you know, <laughs> or that it's, uh, that something happens in line and having that little bit there and maybe in a couple other spots, it turns into a reason why we had to know it. Mm-hmm. So, but, but if it's not like it's a, it's an easy way when you're editing, if you're editing in omniscient is like, or any like really ask yourself, what does my narrator care about? Like, what does my reader actually need to know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think as, yeah, as you mentioned that knowing their vantage point in in both time and space, you Mm -hmm. know, from where are they telling the story? Is it just moments ago? And they're just Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, telling us as it, you know, Like moments after it's happened or is it years later Mm -hmm. or is it, you know, yeah. So, I mean, thinking about all that and being intentional because you have a lot of options. And and so in some ways – and this might be part of the reason why people shy away from it is that you have to be really – you have to create the boundaries Mm -hmm. for – The omniscient narrator. Whereas if you choose a limited third or first person point of view, you have boundaries. You know, you like you have one person or at least one person at a time who is your filter for the story. But when you have an omniscient narrator, um, whether it's objective, you know, where all you're getting are the facts, or whether it's Mm -hmm. really you know, truly omniscient and we're getting in and out of people's minds and that kind of thing, then it's wide open. So you have to make more choices and be more intentional about those choices.
1: Yeah. And so it is, it's a, it's a fun one. It's a difficult one, like uh, same type of thing. If you're doing any, where you're having multiple points of view with anything, you know, that's, that becomes, that adds an additional level of difficulty every time you add another character in, like it's another because you need to pay attention to them. Like you know, if you bring a character in, like are they going to be there just for a scene? Are they going to be there for a long term? Like, um, how are you going to how are you going to move from one character to another? Like exactly like what you're saying, you got to build your own set of rules, which in a lot of ways sounds really awesome and fun, but at the same time, if you haven't done that, like it's a it, how many times do you and I probably get asked, how long should a chapter be?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, how, you know, what's the exact rule for this? Like people want to have that, you know, the, and the truth is there's not set rules on a lot of these things. And this is completely open sandbox.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I like that description. And, and so what you do is, right, you think about What are you trying to accomplish? What does the reader need to know right now? What do I need to withhold or what can I withhold? Mm -hmm. And and you're building your scenes that way, like with those questions and other questions as well, but but with those questions in mind and always be thinking about what am I trying to accomplish? What's the purpose of including this, including this now? Um, And it's, you know, like, it's, as we said, it's challenging to have to think about all that stuff. But realize that when you are when you're in the revision stage, you can look at those things and you can make a pass just for considering the point of view and just for, you know, how is this working? Who, you know? Who is the best person to reveal this detail through, and what mm-hmm. you know, and when, and and all of that. So yeah, it's big, but you have so much, um, yeah, so much to play with.
1: Yeah, and uh, one of the things uh, I, I guess I want to make sure that I'm clear on here. Like when we're talking about thinking of your narrator and like coming up with this kind of backstory, you know, and understanding who they are. And, uh, when, when they're telling the story and all this, that's for you. Like, unless the narrator actually is a character in the the story, mm-hmm. um, you don't need to share any of that type of stuff. Like that's really to help you do the writing. Um, you could have a, you know, like, again, you can choose whatever you want to do with Omni. So you can have a narrator who is really has a strong voice in the whole thing and it's like even maybe even breaking the fourth wall and talking to the the reader or maybe that's a very quiet voice it's hardly even there at all and it's just this camera that's following around and you're just getting to see everything so you have a lot of options
0: right and uh i I always think of when i think of the you know, the narrator, the omniscient narrator, who's also kind of a character, actually, in the story, I think, of the book Thief, mm-hmm. um, which has um, death is the narrator. And it's kind of an it's an interesting story. So if you're going to play with omniscient point of view, then, you know, looking at some of the options, obviously, you know, looking at how different people uh, who employ it, use it, Um so yeah, and yeah. also
1: uh, and also look for stories that are about storytellers, mm-hmm. um, like the adventure uh, adventures of Baron Munchausen.
0: Oh yeah yeah yeah. Baron right? von Munchausen I think uh-huh. yeah
1: yeah, mm-hmm. and like uh, the uh, I remember seeing the movie. It was in the eighties and um, or maybe late eighties. Anyway, but it's a story about a story. Like so, find these types of things because they're going to help you. Um, learn to tell stories differently. Like even go out, if you've got a a, a, a local storyteller, like if you've got a um, Renaissance fair nearby, mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll have live in-person storytelling. And if you can start to see that, then it can help you come up with these rules on how to tell the story in this omniscient voice.
0: Yeah, um, and so let's talk about you know, some of the elements and things that are kind of good practices, I guess I would say, uh, for omniscient. So for, for one thing you you need to do, you have, you know, you have a wide latitude, but you want to make sure that your transitions are smooth. You don't want to jar the reader by moving from one You know, we talked about narrative distance. So if you're really tight in someone else's head and you're, you know, we know what they're thinking and that kind of thing, we don't want to jump immediately from there into someone else's head. We want a a smooth transition where you kind of increase the narrative distance and then move the camera. So zoom out a little and then move, not like go directly tight, you know, and I'm using kind of right. camera, uh, terms, uh, it, but, but you kind. I hope that that, um, makes sense because yeah, the last thing you want to do is pull the reader out of the story. So you want that's just smooth transition
1: because, uh-huh. um, and this, it's kind of that same, the head hopping type of idea, right? You know that happens so like if I'm a reader and I am think that I'm with one character's point of view and I'm reading and like all of a sudden I'm in someone else's point of view and I didn't see a change I didn't see it coming it was in the middle of the paragraph or something like that that's a bump that bumps me out of the story and it takes a minute to get back into it and you want to remove all those bumps you know like you don't want to ever have a moment where the reader's like what now I'm having to reset everything that I have in my head, you know, like I'm got to reset the scene that I thought that it was this way. And now all of a sudden it's changed. And so that's why, yeah, making sure that you're careful with this. Um, one of the ways that I think that, uh, is an easy way to do it, you know, is like you start the sentence, um, after the switch with the character, the new character's name and like having them have a feeling so that it's clear that you've moved into their point of view. And instead of burying it later and having it show up, like, in the middle of a paragraph.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and just to address head hopping, because a lot of people get that um, they're accused of that and they don't know exactly what it is. And it's not simply that you are in more than one character's head within a scene, but it's really more about that jarring experience. And are we, you know, can we move smoothly so that you're not breaking the ex- the reader's experience? You can be in too many heads within one scene and you can move too quickly and that. So you just wanna kind of be mindful of that experience as you go. Um, uh-huh. It's definitely a great question for beta readers when you when you do that just to you know check check and make sure that that's really working Uh (coughs) yeah um and then some other things about about the this point of view um is that um i guess i you know you hear that it can be you know what what the the quote from Ursula K. Le Guin was saying about it can be you know it's like it's manipulative but again you don't want to you have lots of freedom but you want to make sure that you're not that your choices are deliberate I guess is what I say I want to say about that because um doing stuff because you just because you can is kind of fun but if you're doing if if you're you know if it's just in your journal or you're just showing it to friends and you're kind of goofing off that's awesome and fun to experiment but when you're presenting something for a reader you want to pay attention to what what their experience is going to be Mm -hmm. with that
1: yeah and so for instance you know um in this type of point of view. you can definitely hide and lie and do all kinds of things. Just set those rules up. Mm-hmm. If um, if you're gonna be <laughs> if Jr, it's a dream sequence <laughs> at the end. Like that feels <laughs> that feels very jarring and not correct. But if you're if you've got your omniscient narrator kind of doing that from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, then it's okay at the end too. You know, like if you know that the narrator's Possibly messing with you <laughs> already the entire time. You'll be accepting of it, but if you feel cheated or you feel like it was a cop out at the end, then the, then you've lost it. Yeah. You know?
0: So. Yeah, that's a shame. So you don't want to cheat, and yeah, and in terms of rules, I mean, I think uh, I'm uh, a lot of people would disagree with me, but I think there are very few rules. And I think uh-huh. it's more about like, does it work? like you uh-huh. can so people will say people will give you all kinds of rules about point of view and you know all manner of uh writing techniques but but you know, does it work and you can do you can do anything if the reader follows you and has a great experience, but make uh-huh. sure that that's the case. I'm beating a dead horse here, I think <laughs> on, on that, but um. Yeah, so did you have anything else on Omniscient that you wanted to?
1: Um, No, no, that was kind of pulls it all together. Uh, Again, if you're going to try to tackle this, get in there and find some people who have already done it and read some of it, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so there were just a couple of other things that I wanted to mention, too, is that um and I you know some some of this is personal preference and and I definitely try to be mindful of that when I'm um making suggestions asking questions and that kind of thing but I really wanted to see more of the library and the building and the books and the details of the furniture um just to have a better sense of kind of where we are where we are in time even though it's a fantasy you know and speculative story fi- settings don't have to correspond to precise historical periods we still certainly have fantasy for example that Loosely corresponds to the medieval period. We mm-hmm. have steampunk that loosely, or no, not loosely <laughs> of course very strictly. Uh, uh, you know that that's happening in a Victorian um, time frame, and you know that kind of thing. So, so I don't have a full sense of this. Um, you know, in terms of we know there's a camel, but that that's pretty wide. Yeah. Um, range of possibilities. So I just really want to see a little more, a little clearer indication of the world that we've kind of um, stumbled upon here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, again, like consistency—you know, making sure that things don't feel because so, sometimes when I was reading through it, you know, the day I felt like there was some jumps because. He wakes up, and it seems like the librarian's right there on top of him. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, she's doesn't seem to be there, and she's looking some other place. And it, it, um, it kind of, again, shattered the picture that I had built in my head and having to rebuild it. So those are things to watch out for.
0: Right. There's a point where uh, it seems the – oh, yeah, the librarian is seeing – uh, or is, you know, noticing that Munir is, has the book on his head, like he's obviously mm-hmm. trying to absorb information <laughs> directly, mm-hmm. which boy, <laughs> which we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wishing for that. <laughs> um, uh, um, but then when we're um, more in Munir's experience, it seems like he says he's used it as a pillow. And mm-hmm. so, just, you know, the, those kinds of things, wanting to tighten those up. Now, it could be that you're presenting it as like they are having different, they're having vastly different experiences of what's happening. <laughs> yeah. But you want to make sure that it works and that that's clear that that's what the intention is. Mm hmm. For those kinds of things. Yeah.
1: Now, I don't suppose that you could possibly have an editorial mission where an author could work on some of this stuff.
0: Oh my friend, have I got a mission for you? Do you? <laughs> I do. Awesome. Okay. And what I wanted to do with this mission was I, I wanted it I wanted to give you some options to try to play with it because it's you know, if you're just I don't want to throw you into the freezing cold water, but I want you to try it. So if you're not, you know, if you've never tried it before, just, you know, experiment and try some. So I've got six different prompts that you can or exercises that you can try. So as it's, you know, tricky, it can be tricky to master, but it would be a shame to avoid it simply because it's hard. And if if you're listening to this show, I suspect that you're not the kind of person who would not try something just because it's a little challenging. So I want you to be willing to make mistakes, write crappy scenes in furtherance of your art, because I think you will, you know, you might discover that this is the perfect point of view for your current work in progress or one that you do in the future, and even if not, I think you'll learn something about the craft of writing and yourself as a writer. So here's number one. I want you to review a scene from a story that you've written in third, limited, or first point of view, and rewrite it in omniscient. Then put it away for a couple of days before you review it, and then compare the two versions of the scene. And, and ask yourself, what do you know now about your story, about the characters, about the setting that you didn't know before? And it doesn't mean you have to, you know, marry it. I'm not saying you have to, you know, go with it. But what, what can you learn that's different? Um, and then number two, read a scene from a story you love written in omniscient point of view. Now, Then write a side story or scene that's also in omniscient, omniscient using the characters in the setting. So it's kind of a jumping off point for you. You could change what happens next in the story or write a scene that happens offstage in the original or create the beginning of a subplot that's not already in the story. Um, and number three, watch a scene in a movie or TV show and write that out as, you know, in as prose in an omniscient point of view. Number four is think of a real or fictional situation where someone's making a huge mistake, and you know exactly what they should do. So I want you to write this, a, a scene um, in which the person in which your fears for that person, in other words, you knew that that trouble was waiting for them, mm-hmm. and it happens. It comes to fruition. So write about write that scene in omniscient, and that will kind of help you get into the the point of view of the all-knowing omniscient narrator. Um, and then fairy tales and fables are great. You know, those are those tend to be in omniscient point of view. So I want you to write a modern day fable or fairy tale. And if you're not sure how to get started, try uh, using Pixar's fourth rule, which is once upon a time there was blank. Every day, blank. One day, blank. Because of that, blank. Because of that, blank. Until finally, blank. So it doesn't have to be long, just kind of, you know, just play with it. And finally, number six, map out a simple scene with three characters uh, who have goals that are in conflict. It can be as simple as a disagreement over where they're going to eat. And then write the scene three times, once from once from each character's perspective. You can use limited third or first for those. Then I want you to weave those accounts, those three accounts together into one scene that includes what's relevant to the story that you want to tell about what's unfolding. So that's a lot, but there's I wanted to give options so that you could pick something that you know, that kind of appeals to you or that you feel curious about. Um, You can go to, we'll have all of that uh, in the show notes, uh, which you can find at writership.com slash episodes. And you can sign up there to get those editorial missions delivered right to your inbox, which would be great because you can't possibly write all that down Hmm. uh, if you're on the go right now. So there you have it.
1: That sounds like a lot of fun. So, And um, remember, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by Jim Kukrel and Author Marketing Club. Jim has just launched a new business for nonfiction authors called Business Around a Book. So if you're a nonfiction author, visit www.businessaroundabook.com and let Jim help you turn your nonfiction book into a profitable, life-changing business. That's businessaroundabook.com.
0: Okay, Jim Kukrell and Author Marketing Club cover hosting and technical support, but our Patreon crew supports our time in preparing for the show. You can support us there and earn some extra rewards by visiting patreon.com slash writership. We have new stuff coming up there, which I'll be revealing very soon that I'm very excited about. Um. Okay, so that's one way to support us. Some other ways to support us if you're enjoying the show, you could leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, if you, and you could also, of course, pass this along to a writing friend and share that. We would love it if you could do that. And then if you want to have your five pages reviewed, please visit writership.com slash submissions. Finally, be sure to check out episodes of the Book Editor Show, which Clark hosts with Peter Turley, and check out Clark's Daily Podcast Challenge, Healthy Author Challenge, and we'll have the what's the what's the website for that, Clark?
1: So um, it's you just go to mine, Clark-Chamberlain.com
0: clark chamberlaincom and that'll be in the show notes as well okay that's it for episode 111 we'll see you next time on the writership podcast ready for leslie and clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast